On the pace line, drinking stories. It turns into some sort of crazy apple beer or something. It is... It begins fermenting. I think it does. I mean, this instant fermentation or something, regardless, it just becomes so nasty tasting. We talk about what's in your bottle. One of the things we look at with hydration is we wanted a hydration product that was a little bit lower sugar than most of the drinks out there. Not no sugar. You know, it's fine. There's nothing wrong with sugar. Line, the podcast on two wheels. Welcome to our little show. Thanks for downloading us, streaming us, subscribing to us. However you get us, website, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Music, you know the places. We continue to get positive feedback on this show. So thank you. Thank you for joining us. Of course, uh, some of that positive feedback due to the inclusion of Fatty of FatCyclist.com. What do you Fatty, mean some? What do you mean some of the positive okay, feedback? Yes, thank you. How's that new dog doing, by the way? <laughs> oh, he's just laying here right beside me. Duke is a good boy. Okay, we're going to have to interview Duke a little bit later. <laughs> just ring your doorbell and you'll hear from him. <laughs> ah, okay, yeah. And uh, Patrick Brady, you are back from uh, what countries is having a hard time keeping up? Where, where you been? <laughs> well, uh, really just Switzerland and uh, Belgium, but... To do Switzerland and Belgium, there was a little taste of Italy. There was a, a, a jaunt through France. Um, uh, I think that was actually it, though. Yeah. So uh, a few passport stamps, you know. Did you yeah, actually jaunt in France? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, Alouette and all that, you know, Jean Alouette. Uh, sorry. Um, uh, I was mostly just on a train. <laughs> Uh, one of the cool things uh, things about Europe is its proximity. You know, it's like going from county, here. It's like going uh, from county to county in Europe. It's like when you cross a border, it's like oh, you're in the next county almost. And but actually, <laughs> you're in a, you're in an entirely different culture. So, well, cool. you know, you would think, and I mean, certainly that was my conception until I tried to take the train from uh, Zurich uh, to Ghent, Belgium, and it took eleven hours, and that hmm. was with two high speed trains. How's security there, by the way? Is it? Have you noticed a big change? No, it, I, it was tightened up in Paris. You know, relative to what I've seen in the past, it was certainly tighter in Paris. And Paris reminded me more of New York City than it ever has before, just in terms yeah. of like overall rudeness. Um, but beyond that, you know, it was like pretty much business as usual. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, when we last left you, we uh, we discussed trying to get our mojo back and how to do that. You know. We had a little Leadville hangover, and yeah. <laughs> it always leads to some, uh, I don't know, confusion, mental wandering, physical indifference. So, Fatty, as I understand, you went out and tried to remedy that uh, a, a weekend or two ago. Yeah. So the ban on saying Leadville is behind us now, right? We can say Leadville <laughs> again. We're back on again. <laughs> okay. Whew. Oh, that was so hard to avoid saying that word. So, yeah, I... Um, a couple of weeks ago, I guess, or a week ago, you know, my my conception of time is completely, completely messed up. But yeah, so I did a uh, a 50 mile race with around 6,500 feet of climbing local uh, 
very local course. Um, and I DQ'd myself um, in the first lap, but didn't realize it until the second lap because I was in the second lap as I'm coming down a uh, rush, which is a very familiar uh, uh, flowy descent that I do, you know, uh, I don't know, a few times a week normally. This is the my backyard ride. I realized in the second lap that I had missed a turn in the first lap and had thus cut a, around three miles, well, about three minutes, uh, you know, maybe half a mile out of my course and that I had essentially been riding in a DQ state without even knowing it. And from that point on, I just, it was so relaxing. <laughs> I was just like, oh, I'm just going to enjoy this. And, um, you know, actually really did. I had a great time. And at the end of the race, uh, um, because there were only three of us in the uh, men's 50 plus age group, they asked me to stand on the podium anyway, just so that there was a full podium. So, you know, I'm, I'm Mr. DQ standing in the third place podium with sort of this sheepish grin on my face, if you look at the picture. And I'm like, yeah, okay, but sure, I'll stand here. And while I was standing there, the, the guy who uh, took second said, hey, uh, eight hours of Sundance is in a couple of weeks. We should race it as a, as a master's duo team. And so I'm signed up to race again this weekend. So I've gone from, oh, I'm tired of racing, I'm not racing anymore, to, yeah, I'm still racing uh, pretty much every weekend. Mm -hmm. So you got your mojo back. (laughs) I don't know if I've got my mojo back, but I the fact is, if I don't have a race to look forward to, um, I... I don't know. I, I become despondent. So it, <laughs> I, I, I am, I'm no longer fighting it. I'm just accepting the fact that if anyone says, Hey, come do a race. I'm going to say, yes, I am. I'm that easy. <laughs> there's a, vi- there's a video on fatcyclist.com too. And I think it's at minute two, two minute, 12 seconds. That's where the misturn is. Yep. That's right. That's right. Okay. Coming down rush, you can briefly see that there is a a fork that goes to the trees. I, you know, all all of the all of the various um all of the various turns and various offshoots of rush, which is named after the band, um, are you know have names you know related to you know rush songs or rush themes. So yes, there's there's fly by night. There's the trees. Red yep, mm-hmm. yep. I I uh, if you listen to the soundtrack as I go down uh, on that video, I. I think I do Tom Sawyer and Red Barchetta. I always sort of sing Red Barchetta to myself as I descend rush. To me, it feels like the perfect song. <laughs> One of I the great bands that finally, that finally got into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, by the way. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Th- that's a video worth uh, searching for, uh, watching Foo Fighters um, uh, pay tribute to Rush uh, as they get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, you know, wearing the – the tight white jumpsuits and, and mullets. Uh, it, it was, yeah, fantastic stuff. So, yeah, Rush deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, and uh, I'm glad to see that they're there. A lot of fond awesome. memories of that group. Yep. I got my mojo back, too. I did a, I did a gravel event here, a local one, kind of in the same vein as, as your uh, event, Fatty. Very local, small, mm-hmm. not small. We had a decent-sized group. Some Leadvillers were there. Uh, Ryan Steers, who for a moment was in the top, uh, 10 at Leadville and then flatted and uh, Dave Zabriskie were in the race oh, as cool. well. Um, a cool gravel event on local trails here, even 
found some new local single track in the process. Um, struggled, but you know it was a good day. We had a good time out there, and and felt good to be back in event. You know, with uh, get the juices flowing a little bit. You got to sign in. You know, there's somebody there standing with a bullhorn sending you off. I mean, I think all that stuff kind of gets you revved up again. It uh, does for a big A event. It does. Mm-hmm. Did you talk to Dave? I didn't, although he did have his Floyds from uh, Leadville jersey on. Sure. Dave's a quiet guy. You know, he doesn't say much. I talked to Ryan. Ryan's a good guy. Yeah. And I, I uh, really came to appreciate Dave when we, uh, I, you know, for the Cycling Tips podcast, uh, Neil Rogers and I talked with Dave and uh, Floyd for another hour for our part two interview. And, you know, forced to talk into the microphone, Dave has the best sense of humor if you can just sort of you know, get him to, you know, corner him and, and make him talk for a little while. He is, mm-hmm. he's a hilarious guy who is, also has a, a real center to him. So yeah, big, yeah, I, I really came to appreciate him more just in the last little while. Yeah. Very dry sense of humor, you know, s- somebody who would appeal to the pythons. To be sure, to be sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, speaking of racing, did you guys see this crazy video of a fan dragging a barrier in front of approaching racers? This was this was just nuts. Um, this happened at a race called the Tour Cycliste Antenne Réunion. It's my best French. That was perfect. The whole thing was neutralized after two riders were injured when an angry spectator dragged barriers across the road on the final lap. The race was on an island uh, off the coast of Madagascar, which is also an island. And what happened was a few laps prior, two riders going for an intermediate sprint were uh, banging bars. They both crashed. Both were badly injured. Some spectators were hurt, too. The race kept going, though, until the father of one of the two racers who crashed originally dragged a barrier in front of a finishing line of riders. Two of them were snagged in the barrier. The man who caused the crash said he did it because he was upset with race organizers and how they handled the previous crash involving his son. The dad was fined 300 euros taken in for questioning. Uh, we think we got a bad with Little League dads around here. How about that one? Oof, man. Yeah, Try. just go ahead and lock him up. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and this is one of those things, too, like cycling. Here's an excuse for the nightly news to run video yep. of cycling. And they, I mean, it made a lot of national headlines. So <sighs> that was nuts. Absolutely nuts. That was nuts. the last time the Island of Reunion was mentioned in any other news piece, too. You know, it's like right, great cycling. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also in the news, the UCI continues to show no backbone when it comes to disc brakes. They have decided to continue its suspension until the teams agree that they should be allowed in the pro peloton. Uh, UCI, of course, tried this year to allow them in all road races. Then one rider got a cut at Perry roubaix and that cut may have been caused by a rotor. UCI went into knee-jerk mode, told teams to yank their disc-equipped bikes until further notice. Now the UCI will let the teams decide when road disc can resume. We say boo. It's now, the, the only thing is, they've ever let teams decide ever. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The industry is saying screw it, by the way, or, or screw you, UCI, and is moving forward. SRAM announced that ETAP is coming out with Hydro Disc mm-hmm. uh, to complement their already uh, their road ETAP system. And Zip announced a disc disc. That's a disc break disc Wheel. Those um, items coming out of Eurobike, by the way. And Patrick, you were in Europe, of course. Yep. Um, not far from Eurobike, but 
actually. <laughs> I didn't Never go. quite touched Eurobike, huh? Yeah, so I was there for uh, two media intros, one for Giro and one for Bell. And then when all of my colleagues went to get on a ferry and cross Lake Constance and go to Friedrichshafen for Eurobike, uh, I literally turned left, walked 100 meters to the train station, uh, got on a train back to Zurich, and then boarded a sequence of trains that took me to Ghent, Belgium, uh, which is uh, a circumstance that we'll save for maybe next week. Yeah, I didn't go to Eurobike. So. And that was because? What's, what's um, the deal with Eurobike? Well, I mean, you know, it's Eurobike makes for interesting stories um, from the standpoint of brand new product introductions. When it's something that's going to be worldwide, like, say, uh, Disc ETAP, you know, pretty cool stuff. When you need to be one of the places breaking that story, you need to be at Eurobike. RKP has never needed to be the first word on anything. Um, you know, we like to try to be the definitive word, maybe even the last word on something. Um, and so much of what happens when you go to uh, Eurobike is if you're not chasing brand new product introductions, you're walking by scads of models uh, from brands that you do know uh, that aren't distributed in the US. So you're seeing bikes that don't come over here. And then uh, when you're looking at bikes that do come over here, they're usually in colors that won't be offered over here. And then there are whole brands that aren't over here. So covering Eurobike from uh, the standpoint of, you know, an American audience, it's not terribly useful. Uh, the last thing in the world I want to do is get my audience uh, excited about a bike that they are going to have no chance to buy unless they fly to Germany. Hmm. Yeah, I, I have to agree. I mean, I follow, I love the gear stuff. I love, it's how I got hooked up with Red Kite Prayer in, in the first place. Um, and uh, of course I watched the Eurobike news come out and most of it I'm skipping over. I'm like, yeah, I don't know that brand. I'll never see that brand. I'll never see that product. I'll never see that color. Oh, okay. There's one thing right there. I'm, I might be interested in, or that looks a little cool, but yeah, my, my editing mode goes into high gear when I'm watching Eurobike coverage stateside, because frankly, most of it is, is fairly useless. Although I see a lot of American journos over there. Oh yeah. You know, the vast majority go. And I mean, it's not like it's not interesting, but it's a terribly expensive trip to do. Um, Usually you're staying half an hour or more from the venue. So it's not like Mm. Vegas where you can walk 10 minutes and be at the venue. That's not happening. Uh, The accommodations are expensive. You know, you've got to make sure that you have transportation to and from the venue. So you're renting a car or doing something um, you know, then if you, uh, you know, you're usually buying your own airfare over there. So, I mean, it was one of those things that since my airfare was being picked up, uh, by, uh, Vista Outdoor, Bellangiro's parent company, I thought, well, I'm over here. What's the best use I could make of my time? And it's like, well, why don't I go get a good travel feature? So that's why I headed off to Belgium. Uh, okay. And Ghent is a good spot. Yeah. yeah, they also have a great museum there. Don't the, the Tour of Flanders Museum is in Ghent, I think. It's it? just outside uh, the town of Udenard, and I did go there, and there will be mm. a post on my visit there. That was flipping phenomenal. Spending <laughs> three hours in the Tour of Flanders Museum was better than any two days at at Eurobike. Oh my god, it was so cool. Uh, yeah. I've I've got chills just thinking about it. So yeah, that's going to be a whole post coming up on RKP. Awesome. Okay, well, um, I'm getting a little thirsty here. So uh, 
Coming up next, Fatty, Patrick, and I are going to go over our hydration evolution, what we have tried, and where we are now. Plus, we'll hear from a company new to the fluid thing. They are known for their bars, but now want to be in your bottle. And that's coming up next on The Pace Line. Hey, man, do you have any of that secret drink mix? The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. Fatty of FatCyclist.com. Patrick Brady is back with us. RedKitePrayer.com is his home site. And uh, I'm your host, Michael Hutton. Uh, food in your pocket, hydration in your bottle. You guys heard of that one before? It's kind of a new saying. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. That was the saying popularized by uh, Stacy Sims of Osmo Nutrition. Now, Osmo has kind of fallen off a map a little bit, and uh, by all accounts, they're trying to retool or get their business back together. But uh, Stacey Sims and Alan Lim of Scratch kind of started that new movement towards a more diluted solution in the bottles of endurance athletes and eating out of your pockets. You know, For years, many of us looked at the water bottle as not only a way to quench our thirst, but to feed our efforts. And while we're drinking, we might as well be taking in calories, right? That was kind of the thinking back then. Yeah. Having a bottle with you know 300-calorie solution was not uncommon. I know I did this. Uh, I still do. Usually, yeah, do a 300-bottle solution, 300-calorie solution in in one bottle and pure water in the other, something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Folks, we're going to talk about hydration here and how this may or may not have changed for the three of us, and we're also going to hear from somebody in a second who is new to the hydration game. But, Fatty, let's start with you. What Give us your hydration evolution. What's kind of your... Your mixology, where was it, where has it been, and where does it stand now? Okay. Well, like a lot of people who have been riding for 20 or more years, my first foray into hydration was with Cytomax, in particular, Apple Cytomax. (laughs) And there is something special about Apple Cytomax where when it is more than 80 degrees outside, it turns into some sort of crazy apple beer or something. It is... It begins I, fermenting. I think it does. I mean, this instant fermentation or something, regardless, it just becomes so nasty tasting that it doesn't matter how thirsty you are, you would rather die than drink any more of that. And that put me off of uh, you know powdered mix drink stuff for a long time. And... Uh, For a while, I was doing things like mixing half a Red Bull in with water. Um, (laughs) And, you know, actually, I mean, I like the taste of Red Bull and there's some calories there and some caffeine, you know, so I kind of made do with that. Then I went for a while with the convenience route where, you know, you can get Gatorade in any store in America. And, you know, it's like, well, yeah, that works fine. And just sort of put up with the fact that after, you know, a five hour ride, nothing makes you feel iller than Gatorade. It just, you know, becomes truly horrible. In the past few years, I would say probably I'm in my fourth year now with Carborocket 333, which is a 333 um, calorie drink. I actually mix it at two-thirds strength, so I'm getting, you know, 200-ish calories 
per bottle. Um, and for me, it works perfectly. I get, you know, I, I go through a bottle of that every couple of hours um, and supplemented with my uh, Goo Roctane gels. And, you know, science be damned, I don't, you know, I don't really care if the science says, well, get your calories from food and all this, you know, it's all just, it's all, you know, viscosity is pretty much the thing that is different <laughs> between the two, right? Between gel and liquid. I'm getting around 250 calories. My stomach never gets ill anymore and I can go all day. So for me, you know, I'm, I'm pretty much, you know, I, my, I am set in stone with what works for me because it truly does work. I can ride for dozens of hours, quite literally, without getting sick using Carbo Rocket 333 and sucking on goose and I'm solid. So that's me. Have you ever, yeah. Have you ever experimented with other solutions or tried other methods? Sure. Um, yeah, I, uh, like a lot of people I've got, um, uh, stuff from scratch uh, back when it was the secret, secret drink mix, of course, you know, yeah. and you get a lot of that with, uh, you know, when you order something from the feed or, you know, it's, it, you know, different things come to you all the time. And, you know, I tried Accelerate. I always found it kind of gritty and gross, uh, you know, with their protein mix stuff in and scratch. I think it tastes great. And probably if I weren't already super happy with what I was using, I'd probably give Scratch uh, a go. Uh, for one thing, I've got probably about ten kilograms of it sitting in my pantry, just you know, from free stuff of you know, as it accumulates. Mm-hmm. Um, so, swing on by my house if you need some Scratch. I was um, going to say you've got my address, right? <laughs> I, I do, but that stuff's not not cheap to ship. Um, <laughs> so, but yeah, so I, I've tried Scratch, like Scratch. Um, you know, I've I've tried Hammer. Eh, it's fine. I've tried, you know, I've tried a, a number of different things. And frankly, I can get, you know, I can get by with practically anything. I'm happy to drink whatever is being served at the neutral aid stations on long, on long races. Um, but if given my druthers, uh, Carbo Rocket all the way. Yeah. And the science that Fatty is referring to is regards to putting a large amount of of, of sugar, of carbohydrates, into your gut in a single moment. And the reaction is, according to the science, is that water that's in your blood suddenly has to rush to your gut to deal with the sugar that you've dumped in your gut in, in, a, in a small amount of time. And drawing water out of your blood uh, has a, can have a couple of negative impacts, one being a loss of power, and two, you could run into hydration issues or cramping or, or other issues like that. Um, of course, all that sugar for some people can cause a tremendous amount of GI distress. I mean, that's why Sims and and uh, Alan Lim went out to try and fix this problem because so many of their Tour de France riders were having issues. And now these guys, day in and day out, go through a high number of bottles. And obviously, uh, that level of maltodextrin or whatever sugar is they're ingesting at at high densities is going to ruin most people's guts, especially when you do over a three week period. For one day, maybe you can get by, but for three, and they had this issue with with riders coming back with terrible GI problems and unable to drink anymore, and losing power, and, and so that's that's Flavor why they fatigue. came up with this idea of diluting um, that you know that three hundred calorie drink and trying to find the right kind of the right ratio. So well, Patrick, 
belly up to the to bar, clear, here, buddy. What what has been your what has been your cocktail in the past, and and how does it look now? Uh, my cocktail in the past. Well, I I you know if I could afford to, it would be nothing but Costa Brown Pinot Noir. Um, uh, but when I'm on the bike, no, it has to be something a little bit different. Um, yeah. I I'm at this point, I'm completely sold on scratch. Uh, I'm a big fan of scratch, you know, at a certain level, I don't really care, um, if it's scratch or Osmo or the new cliff, uh, mix, uh, well not new anymore, but once they, uh, redid the formulation, uh, Gubru, uh, and now the uh, the bonk breaker uh, mix, you know, any of those that are working in that three percent solution range, um, you know, I'm I'm absolutely sold on those as an approach for hydration for me. I truly perform better that way. I've found, and just to be super clear about you know what it is that's going on with the science. Um, you know, uh, Lim didn't do all the research himself, uh, nor did Sims, but, you know, in reviewing literature and looking at stuff, what they found was that, you know, the science shows that a 3% solution um, is going to move, you know, a- across that barrier much more quickly than anything else will. So, uh, you know, not only uh, does it hydrate you, it does it more quickly. Um, and, you know, it, it, uh, scratch was formulated, uh, to combat, you know, flavor fatigue and a number of other things. But to Fatty's point, you know, I, I should back up a second and say, I attended a masterclass, uh, with Alan Lim two years ago, um, in which we spent three days going through all of the science, you know, regarding, uh, hydration and, you know, broader nutrition implications, um, it was remarkable. I'm still trying to digest all of the stuff that we got. Uh, he gave us, uh, a stack of different studies that were applicable. That was three inches high, uh, you know, eight and a half by 11 sheets of, of studies. And, um, one of the things that came out of this was that, you know, if something works for you, don't, don't stop doing it just because you've read something. Um, yeah, there was a, a study about, uh, Japanese women and Swedish women and eating uh, bread versus rice. And what they found was that because the Swedish women had been eating bread all their lives, they actually metabolized it better, uh, better than rice. And the Japanese women uh, metabolized rice better than they metabolized bread. So it's important to understand, you know, that if something works for you, you really should stick with it. The only time to change is when something stops working for you. Um, I'm somebody who struggled with those, uh, strong drinks. I thought I liked them. Uh, I certainly liked the taste, but I wasn't doing a great job of hydrating. Um, and you know, since, uh, since trying scratch and Osmo, uh, it's really changed, uh, how I drink on the bike and it has made a, a, a noticeable difference in my performance. Yeah. But not working for you can be, uh, you know, kind of a fine line for some, a well-trained athlete. You know, a well-trained athlete may be going along fine drinking their high-solution drink, but maybe that high-solution drink is costing them uh, ten or fifteen watts an hour uh, because yeah. it's because it's because they're expending so much energy dealing with what's in their gut, drawing water out of their blood. So sometimes you don't know if it's if it's working properly or not. If you're looking for a, a small edge, that may be it. It may be, and you may not even know it. Well, for a lot of the riders who are working with Lim, 
you know, at, you know, at the grand tour level, what they were finding was, you know, they were good for four hours, but the fifth hour things started coming apart. And so they were looking at, you know, pretty easy to define breaks in performance. You know, they're able to average, you know, 300 Watts, you know, just, just keep turning that out. And then all of a sudden they hit hour five and they're doing 250 or 225. And so they had, you know, they had indications that something was going wrong for these riders. It wasn't epically like they were bonking, although certainly that could happen. But, you know, they were reporting things over and over, you know, problems they were having, flavor fatigue, like, no, you know, even if they were drinking water, they were still tasting cherry or whatever. Um, there were, you know, any number of issues that were causing that, you know, that final, uh, you know, say 30, 40 K of racing to kind of go wrong where they weren't the same race that they had been an hour two. And so, you know, if anybody, you know, looks back at performances and notices, well, I'm, you know, I'm delivering this kind of power over this sort of time, uh, or, you know, even something simpler, an average speed, if I'm averaging 18 miles per hour at a century and then come hour five, you know, those last, uh, 20 miles into the finish, suddenly I'm riding 12 hour, 12 miles an hour. There's something that's not working for them. And that's right. when it's worthwhile to start looking at, you know, what could be changed in terms of diet. Mm -hmm. My my history in drinking uh, kind of has, has melded both of yours. Um, like Fatty, I, you know, would go ahead and bone up on the 300-calorie bottles. They worked fine for me. I really had no issue. But um, I read the science and decided I would change based on the science and not on my performance. I was having – my performances were fine. Uh, I was able to drink – um, those thicker solutions without any problem, uh, but I just thought I, I would change and go and and try the new way of thinking and see how it worked for me. Um, plus, I love eating food, as I've proven in previous podcasts, and <laughs> stuffing my pockets with cookies and sandwiches and stroopwafels or whatever else seem uh, uh, enlightening to me. By the way, both Sims and Lim uh, take a you know a, a holistic approach to this. It's not just your bottle they they're worried about. They want you to make sure that you're. You're eating food, in fact, chewing food um, for for your energy purposes too. So if you're going to pull the calories out of your bottle, you got to replace them somewhere. And and that both of them seem to think that eating whole foods, even on the bike, which can be difficult, are the best way to do that. And I, and that's kind of the the route I followed too. I started going with a more diluted solution in my bottle. Um, although both bottles uh, did have something in them for hydration purposes. Um, and I've tried, you know, I've tried them all, Osmo and Scratch, the new Bonk Breaker product, Cliff Goo even has a, a lighter solution now as well. And um, I can't say that one has worked better for me than the other, but I, I have noticed in other people who have come to me and asked me about hydration issues that they cramp or that they are falling apart or that they get flavor fatigue or what have you, and they, they generally have been on a stronger product, something, a heavier solution, and um, they've moved over to a lighter solution, a scratch or what have you, and had great success. So for people with sensitive guts and who get worn out by product pretty easily, you know, I think this idea works. And um, I would say personally for me, it's, it's been kind of a wash. I could probably drink whatever the hell I wanted to <laughs> uh, and get by. And, and that's great. 
we're, I think we're lucky that way, Fatty. You and I have, you know, I could probably gulp down gels and drink whatever I wanted to and not have an issue. Is it affecting you. my power minutely? It could be, yeah, that it could uh, by going that route. But um, I certainly didn't have any any bad episodes that would indicate that it was that it was a problem. Hmm. By the way, my my pantry right now has well, my wife loves scratch and she drinks scratch. And I drink that. I drink noon tablets. I, I carry the noon tablets. I use those. That's a sponsor for my team, and I use them a lot. That's a very light solution. Um, in fact, probably it's even lighter than what uh, what Alan Lim and Doctor Sims have prescribed. By the way, if you're wondering what it, what the numbers they kind of came up with in the end, uh, they feel that twenty to twenty five grams of carb per twenty ounce of water is a is the quote unquote no pun intended sweet spot. Uh, that's about 80 to 90 calories. So there's some calories in, in even a lighter solution that are important because it does help with hydration to have a certain amount of carbohydrates in your drink. It does aid in the hydration process. They just feel like the scratches, the osmos of the world, there's a tipping point there that too much actually hurts hydration. Too many calories, I should say, actually um, hurts hydration. So there are solutions I've really stuck, though. I mean, this seems to be kind of the new way of thinking. And I think their leadership in this area has spawned other companies to try and go, okay, maybe we rethink what we're doing too. We've, I've, I've seen some followers out there, read about you know, what they've done. Um, for instance, Bonk Breaker, which we all know for their bars and more recently their chews, they've entered the hydration game with um, a line of drinks. They just came out with two flavors. Um, but I spoke with the CEO of the company, Chris Frank, about uh, the evolution of his company and their entrance into the hydration world. How we arrived at drink is is the same way we arrived at bars and then choose and everything that we've done. And, and I think the simple answer, Michael, is that it's been customer driven. You know, we've had a tremendous amount of demand after we started doing our energy bars. Our first bar was our peanut butter and jelly bar, as you probably know. And, you know, now we've got 10 energy bars, four high protein bars. And we started to get a, a lot of demand from our core customers and our professional athletes to do a chew. And their question to us was, could we do a chew with the same real food philosophy that we use for what we do with our energy bars? You know, all natural ingredients, organic, non-GMO, et cetera, et cetera. And so last year we launched our chew, you know, and it's the first one on the market that's non-GMO project verified and has all of those other attributes. Uh, as of last year, once we successfully launched the Chew, and that started really gaining steam and is doing incredibly well, we got a ton of demand for a drink. And you know, there a lot of people felt like, particularly outside of the endurance world, you know, about a third of our business is in the endurance sports world. Most of our growth is coming from regular consumers who shop at Whole Foods, as well as professional athletes, NFL, etc. Um, we started getting a ton of demand, though, to do a drink that was made with the same real food philosophy, all natural ingredients, organic, non-GMO, etc., that would really be different from what else is on the market. And, you know, to be sure, there's some great competitors that are out there, and we weren't sure we'd be able to formulate a drink using 10 or 12 ingredients like we do in our, in our bars, using all natural ingredients and organic, et, et cetera, as well as loading it up with the appropriate amount of electrolytes. So it took us quite a bit of time to arrive at a product we felt would meet all those criteria. 
and really be qualitatively different from anything else on the market. And I think that's the key operative with everything we do. One, it's customer driven. You know, it's because of demand from our customers asking us to put together the product. And two, it's Jason and myself and our R&D team and our test kitchens going through the entire R&D process to see if we can actually formulate a product that's consistent with our vision of real food, all natural ingredients that taste great. And then third, can we produce it in scale? You know, and is there a market for it? Is it something that's going to be qualitatively different from other products that are on the market? Um, was it, did you have to start from point zero with a drink or could, did, were you able to use some of your knowledge base from the food products, from the, the stuff we put in our mouths and chew to get to a drink mix? Uh, yeah, great question. I, the answer is is yes and yes. Uh, you know, I think there's so much you learn from cooking, you know, particularly with bars. And the first lesson, you know, we're, we're known for using Ferrari quality ingredients. People who really know nutrition know that we take huge pride in using the highest level of ingredient standards and quality control that's out there. But when you really ask your core consumer, why do they buy a block breaker product? It's because it tastes great. You know, they look forward to eating it, whether it's on the bike or as a snack, you know, someone sitting in the office having something for, for lunch or on an airplane, what have you. And uh, so you learn a, a huge amount about consumer preferences, uh, what flavors do customers like, what do they not like by doing bars and by doing chews. And that's really where we started was talking to our elite level athletes and our teams about what did they want in a hydration product? What did it do for them? You know, really going direct to our consumers. And then secondly, what flavor profiles would they be most interested in seeing? And then, and for us, that's the funnest part is when we get to go into the R&D kitchen, test different things, see how they taste, you know, see if the ingredients work well, and then actually put them out there in trial, you know, get out on the bike, go for a long ride, see if it actually metabolizes the way that we envision. Give me your philosophy on uh, level of carbohydrates that should be in a drink, and how did you folks arrive at that? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, most of the carbs in a drink come from sugar. And, you know, our view is there are certain types of sugars, and I won't uh, name names of the ones to stay away from, high fructose corn syrup, uh, and others like that, uh, you know, that, that people can tend to have a difficult time metabolizing, or they can be a fairly spiky sugar. Um, you know, maltodextrin is, uh, is used very frequently in drinks and can, for, for some athletes, be a little bit more difficult to break down in the system. One of the things we look at with hydration is we wanted a hydration product that was a little bit lower sugar than most of the drinks out there. Not no sugar. You know, it's fine. There's nothing wrong with sugar. And we use an organic cane sugar crystal. Uh, which is very easy to metabolize, super clean burning, etc. cetera. Uh, for our serving size, we have 16 grams total in a 20-gram 20, 20 serving. Uh, by comparison, and I will shoot you over this chart, most of the others in that same space are anywhere from you know, 18 to 20 grams. We're about 15 to 20% lower on sugar than your typical drink that's out there, and it's also the right kind of sugar. Um, the second thing I'd say as it relates to the carb source in there is most of our athletes specifically look to other products besides drink as their main delivery vehicle for carbs, whether it's a bar or a chew or a gel. So we didn't want a drink that would be overly syrupy or, or too heavy to digest. You know, typically our athletes are looking for something that's really easy to metabolize, that's fairly neutral, you know, nice flavor, but not too overpowering. And, uh, and something that isn't going to be their plain carb, uh, their carb replacement vehicle. Did you get into, there's a lot of talk about osmolality. 
about how water moves in your system, whether it's going to your gut or going to your working muscle groups. Did that factor into how you folks arrived at your, your carb level, at your solution? It, it did, and you're right, and much of that research is done. You know, I think a lot of the, the science behind what we're doing with hydration has been done, and there are a couple of, uh, of very good brands out there that make terrific products that look exactly at that question. And we really replicated kind of what was happening with what we felt were the best products. And these are products that we've used before we started making our own for competition for me on the bike, for Jason and triathlon, et cetera. And uh, so absolutely. How about uh, flavors? So we have lemon, lime, and uh, wolfberry pomegranate. Is that the other one? Wolfberry pomegranate. Yeah. So I'll, I'll start with that one first. Uh, we just, uh, you know, when, when we set back to, to look at what flavors, we knew we wanted to do a lemon lime because you kind of have to have a lemon lime type flavor. We wanted a citrusy flavor. Uh, but we also wanted one that wasn't too intense on the flavor profile. So you'll notice uh, with the lemon lime that it's a fairly subdued lemon lime. Uh, it's, not, uh, it's not overly acidic. It's easy on the stomach, etc. The other one we wanted was a, a, a flavor that would have a berry emphasis um, and really kind of take advantage of the antioxidants found in some of the superfoods like acai or wolfberry, which is more commonly known as goji berry. And when we, uh, which I didn't know before we started going through the flavor process. And when we started testing out different flavors, we decided we wanted goji berry in there. We wanted pomegranate in for the same reason, because they both taste great when they're blended together. We wanted a little bit, bit of blueberry. And as soon as we found out that goji berry is also called wolfberry, we immediately knew we had to call the product wolfberry just because it sounds so cool. You know, and so much fun stuff we could do with marketing for it. But it's a great flavor combination as well. Uh, why have any, it seems that when athletes really are struggling, when we're really working hard, we get tired of the flavor of our drink, the, the taste. Why put flavor in at all? Why not try a flavorless drink? Uh, that's a great question. And I think it's just a personal preference with most of the athletes that we talk to. And, you know, again, not everyone is a, a cat one level cyclist or a pro athlete in the NFL or what have you for your typical athlete out there. And let's talk about youth sports as well, right? Kids playing soccer, they want some type of flavoring in the drink. It makes it a lot more palatable. They feel like they're getting something beyond just water, and it's, it's candidly a lot more marketable. So the broad market is looking for a level of flavor, and then it's a question of how intense do you want that flavor to be and how much sugar do you want to be inside of the product. And as I said, our, our goal was to have initially you know, two flavors, you know, one fairly straightforward with lemon-lime and then the other one a little bit unique uh, with, a, with a really nice flavor in the wolfberry. Tell me about uh, mixology a little bit. Is it okay to go ahead, no matter what hydration mix you use, but specifically with bong breaker, to vary the intensity of your drink depending on your activity level? Uh, yeah, it absolutely is. And I think, you know, one of the things that oftentimes gets lost in the shuffle of the science, right? So for a 20-gram serving of our hydration, we have a full 700 milligrams of all five of the key electrolytes that your body needs. Your body can really assimilate 350 to 450 milligrams per hour. So some of it you won't actually be able to use. So there's a bit of an abundance in there, which is not a bad thing at all. But what, what can get lost in the translation is how does your body respond to it? And I think, you know, the old adage of try it in training and see what works for you, whether it's with a, a real food product, a solid like a bar or a gel or a chew, 
or hydration, you've got to get out there and see what works. And a lot of the answer to concentration comes down to, you know, what are the environmental factors that you're, that you're experiencing in training? If it's super hot, you're going to need more electrolyte replacement. You're going to need to drink more frequently as well. Uh, if you have a very high sweat rate, same answer. So it really comes down to personal preference and choice. And it also comes down to the answer to your question about flavor versus no flavor at all. If you like a fairly bland drink, you can use a little bit less drink mix. That's absolutely fine, and it's not going to throw off the chemistry that dramatically. In fact, that's one of the reasons that we are very high in the electrolyte count. So for individuals who, who have that preference of a little bit more bland drink, they don't have to use a full serving for a, for a bottle. Well, I get the feeling this is not the, the end for Bonk Breaker, that there's going to be a little bit more with the drink itself and with the company as a whole. We, yeah, we've got a lot to do. And I, what, what exactly that is, we're not sure right now. You know, we know, uh, we, we know we've, we've recently made a couple decisions on the overall product line. One of those decisions is to move, and we're already nearly there right now, but we wanted to move every single product that we produce to be fully non-GMO project verified, uh, which will be unique in the marketplace. But the, the world of nutrition is going in that direction, as we were with being gluten-free with all of our products. We wanted to be at the forefront of that wave, and we think that's a real phenomenon. You can see it in legislation that's happening around the country, uh, GMO versus non-GMO. And, and you know, where that takes us for snack foods, we'll see. You know, I think our core philosophy is, you know, we don't need to do everything, we, but we do want to be really good at what we do. You know, and right now that's energy bars, it's protein bars, it's chews and hydration. And within those categories, um, there's a lot more we can do. Again, that was a Bonk Breaker CEO, Chris Frank, uh, mostly talking about their new hydration product, but nutrition in general. Uh, Fad, you've been working a bit with the Goo, the folks at Goo recently, right? Yeah. Is there, have, they, have they given you any idea about their kind of their philosophy behind a hydration product? Well, I uh, actually. Can, uh, I had an interview with uh, Brian Vaughn while I was in Leadville, and that might uh, come out at some point. But the um, he wasn't talking a lot about hydration. They are thinking more in terms of actual analysis of how your body is doing and, and coming up with custom plans. Uh, so where they are focusing, I think, is uh, actually moving, I won't say away from product, but is expanding more towards services than, you know, what is the current uh, mix of carbs to uh, whatever in the in the latest drink. So, um, you know, it, it's sort of different philosophies, and it's cool to see so many different ones out there. Yeah, that's actually, you know, a really good idea because metabolism and the way each of us deals with what we put on our gut can be drastically different. And trying to find a one-size-fits-all, whether you believe in what – Alan Lim and Stacey Sims have put forth on the market a bonk breaker mm-hmm. or any of the stronger drinks. Uh, you know, it's it's guesswork trying to figure it out. And Goo may be onto something there to find a way. If we can identify, get, get each person's little thumbprint, their hydration thumbprint, and then give them a solution. Yep. That will mean, you know, a more satisfied and a better performing athlete than than anything we can market or or slap on a label for that matter so good for them yeah yeah be Ooh. interesting to see what happens with them uh in the next couple of years mm-hmm. uh nutrition is yeah it's a really neat and growing area and a really tough one to decode it's not like finding the best chain or the best set of tires uh for your next race it's 
it's it's difficult to figure out and very very personal. Yeah, I think part of the whole uh, the fact that it is a little bit of a puzzle is what intrigues a lot of us cyclists. Right, that mm-hmm. we enjoy the process of uh, you know figuring out well what should I eat, how much should I eat, what you know what lube should I use. We love uh, fiddling and twiddling, and the fact that there are so many complexities to uh, our bodies and to the machines we ride and we're all sort of struggling toward some sort of you know platonic cycling ideal (laughs) uh, intrigues all of us (laughs) and we Mm -hmm. you know we love sort of figuring out you know what is my perfect solution and yeah at least i i enjoy that i love messing around with all that yep uh, coming up, we head into the garage, and there's a lot of stuff in it. Uh, in fact, so much, maybe we should just have a garage sale. That is <laughs> next on the pace line. We decided to create a new product that we can all drink together on a daily basis, even when we're not sweating. Is it scratch beer? No. Baseline, the podcast on two wheels, fatty of fatcyclist.com, Patrick Brady, redkiteprayer.com. I'm your host, uh, Michael Houghton. Uh, thanks for finding our little show here, folks. Um, Patrick, do you like, do you listen to music when you ride? Uh, only when I'm mountain biking. Only when you're mountain biking, so not to endanger yourself while you're on the road. Is that the thinking there? Well, yeah, it's, it's a pretty safe assumption. I want to hear what's beh- going on behind me. Okay, well, maybe this this product will intrigue you a little bit. It's a helmet company, a brand I've never heard of, called Coros, C-O-R-O-S. They're launching a product that delivers audio through the helmet, straps, and the audio is heard using a method called bone conduction. Bone conduction. Got that? So sound or vibrations actually come out of these pads that are touching facial bones just in front of your ears allowing the user to hear music, make a phone call without having something in their ears, like earbuds. The idea is that the the system still allows for outside sounds to be heard. The helmet is called the Lynx Smart Helmet. Everything's smart now, isn't it? A pair of headphones out called uh, the the Aftershocks also use bone conduction, so Koros, not the first to to try this. Uh, 200 bucks for the Lynx helmet, 100 bucks less if you support their Kickstarter campaign. So bone conduction, (laughs) that sounds dangerous in itself. (laughs) Well, years ago, I used to, uh, this is going to go off the rails. Um, I I used to frequent a place that had isolation tanks uh, and I would go float around in those for hours and, and dream stuff up like music. And they had transducers in them so that you could actually play music while I, while you were in there. And sometimes I would take in works that I was uh, working on and have them play the cassette, and it would play through the transdu- transducer. And even though my ears were underwater, uh, they had worked out the EQ in such a way so that I could actually hear the music uh, from the transducer through the water. And it worked remarkably well. Mm, yeah. Yeah. So Always the, technici- way to get, the yeah, technology's the, out there. Yeah, earbuds aren't the only way. Now, Patrick, you were uh, in Europe recently, and 
while we're on the topic of helmets, you've been you've been wearing some new head protection. What did you put on your skull? Yeah, so uh, Jiro introduced uh, a new price point helmet, the Cinder. Uh, there's a women's version called the Amber. So apparently the the uh, women's version is hotter and brighter. Um, but it's a it's a shall we say kind of a cousin to the Synth, their top of the line Aero Road helmet. Okay, um, and uh, the Cinder. You know, it has a similar sort of look, um, and uh, it's, you know, shall we say, more aerodynamic than other helmets they've produced in that price range. Uh, but this is a $150 helmet um, and uh, comes with MIPS. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. really, really neat helmet. Um, pretty remarkable. And uh, I think it's going to gain a lot of popularity so often. Um, the look and feel of those more price point helmets has been, you know, not terribly impressive. They, they look like also rands and for someone who isn't, you know, hasn't been looking at the synth for a year and seeing it on people's heads, uh, you could easily do a double take and wonder if somebody had the synth on with this, uh, it's a really good looking helmet. Mm -hmm. And then the other one, uh, that I started wearing just two days later, uh, is the new Zephyr from Bell. And I I don't want to be too cruel to them, but for some time, Bell's road offerings, uh, with the exception of the Star Pro, really, they've been kind of off the back design-wise. They haven't had a terribly current look. You know, you haven't been seeing them a lot in the Peloton. And uh, I'd say their designs were a little on the dated side. And the new Zephyr uh, takes a number of design cues that we've been seeing elsewhere, you know, a more sleek, uh, less kind of Cadillac tail fin look, you know, less spiky stuff. Uh, it turns out that in in testing, those little pointy things at the back of some helmets, they're really not good for you in crash situations. So they've smoothed out the back of the helmet. Uh, it's a MIPS helmet. And uh, similar to the Rocklock Air found in the Giro Synth, this MIPS uh, uh, really suspends the helmet above the head. And so it's really one of the most breathable helmets on the market. They benchmarked the Synth, you know, even though this is their sister brand, they really benchmarked the Synth as, you know, what they wanted to try to emulate in terms of both aerodynamics and uh, uh, ventilation. And they've done a remarkable job with it. It's a, a really killer helmet. It's also got some little uh, pads, if you will, uh, in both the front and the back of the helmet that are kind of grippers. And so when you go to slot your eyewear into the helmet, these little things help to uh, hold the eyewear in place uh, so that they don't slip around so easily. So mm-hmm. remarkable piece of work. Yeah, hard to be opposed to good and healthy competition and a high number of choices in head protection. I mean, could always use innovation, uh, good thinkers, good new product in that area. And it's good to see that Bell is still in the game. Now, uh, one of the products that you tried that did get a lot of penetration over here in the U.S. as far as launches are concerned, whether or not it was connected with Eurobike, I think they were there. It was the new Giro shoe, 
which looks to be a bit of a hybrid between the Empire and a Velcro shoe and a Boa shoe. What did you What did you wear over there? Yeah, so they've they've overhauled their you know basic. Uh, this is their flagship shoe. Well, maybe not flagship, but their kind of bread and butter shoe, the Factor. It was the first shoe they introduced and has really been the mainstay of their shoe line. The Factor was uh, a two strap, one buckle shoe. And now they've gone to one boa and two two straps that are, they are calling tech laces. The tech lace is a modified lace system so that what you end up uh, sticking on your shoe, you know, is a Velcro strap, but laces feed into the Velcro strap. It's kind of hard to visualize without actually seeing it, but it's a, a pretty remarkable system. And, you know, a couple of our readers, uh, when they first uh, saw the review, they were like, oh, okay, so still three straps. And I have to say, no, this is, you know, three strap shoes for the, for the most part aren't really great for me because of the, the width and volume of my foot. And I found that this is a, a much more adjustable shoe than you might otherwise think. There are you know, five lace holes uh, running down the shoe below the boa. And uh, they use the top of the line boa, which you can, you know, turn forward to tighten, turn backward to loosen, and then pop out to completely release. And so it's, uh, you know, it's the kind of ideal boa system. But the tech laces, you know, you can really dial to suit your need uh, just what the tension is across the top of the foot. They also offer replaceable laces so that if you've got a higher volume foot like me, you can put in longer laces so that you get better contact at the Velcro when you go to pull it down. Or if you've got a really low volume skinny foot, you don't end up with those curb feelers where the straps stick out an inch beyond the edge of the shoe. Okay. So you use the laces, you kind of set the laces and then you use the the Velcro every time you get in and out of the shoe. Is yeah. that kind of how the system works? And then the yeah. boa, of course, we know the boa works. Yeah, yeah. it's it's yeah. a really it's a pretty ingenious system. And for everybody who says, "Oh, I've got to be able to adjust my shoe," you know, during the course of the ride, I've got to tighten it and loosen it and tighten it. You know, whatever. I'm I'm not somebody who messes with my shoe, but you know, certainly I know plenty of people like that. And for those, you know, this is the shoe, you know, I, I get that some people aren't going to, aren't going to ride the empires. And, you know, if you need to be able to make adjustments on the fly, this is the perfect shoe for that. Yeah. There's a lot going on with it and it may, Jiro is going to have to do some storytelling with this, with this shoe, because it does look complex just to the eye, just to the press clippings we saw over this way. So they do need to get out there and do some storytelling with this shoe because uh, it, it does need explanation. It's, it's that that involved um fsa finally announced its group set and it's electronic yay force we uh it is semi-wireless so shifters transmit wirelessly but the derailleurs are wired to a battery that is stored in the seat post it weighs a little less than the campy electronic system but a little more than shram and shimano's it claims to lead in battery life at lasting at about 5,000 kilometers. Uh, you can get different shifter lever lengths, and the levers themselves also have reach adjust. Uh, shifters are shifting, that is, is executed using a rocker paddles. I, I guess that's kind of Formula One style. Yeah. Uh, no price yet. But now we have, what, a fourth 
A fourth yeah, electronic a, group a set into the market. A real fourth option. I can't wait. I am dying to try this. It's so good for the market. You know, in some of these bikes, uh, some of the 2017 models uh, from some of the bigger manufacturers are actually going to see uh, this FSA group uh, appear as OE equipment. Really? Yeah. Awesome. Okay. I hope it, yeah, again, more competition. We can only, uh, we can only embrace this because it's just going to push everyone else to make a better product. Yeah. Uh, did you think the 26-inch mountain bike was dead? <laughs> Not so fast as uh, Jameis. In the spring, they were showing off uh, steel and aluminum bikes, 26-plus bikes, for women. Well, they say the response has been so good from customers and dealers that Jameis is now offering its Dragon Slayer and Komodo in 26-plus in larger sizes so men can fit them, too. The two bikes also come in 27.5-plus, but the real surprise has been the number of 26 inches, or 26-inchers, I should say, that have been moving for Jameis, and, and the fact that larger sizes are now desirable in this in the 20... I thought 26-inch was dead, Patrick. Well... You know, as far as I'm concerned, for adult males over about five feet eight, they are. Um, I, you know, I, it's the other bikes just perform so much better. You know, at minimum going to 27.5, you know, for off-road riding, it just rolls so much better. Um, now, that said, I don't ever want to see 26-inch wheels go away from performance mountain biking because it's so crucial for kids as they grow to force riders to have to jump from 24-inch wheels all the way to 27.5 would just be awful. We need 26-inch wheel bikes in there for kids as, as they grow, especially with the rise of Nike. You know, you're going to get a lot of 14 and 15-year-olds who are just going to be, you know, they're going to be like women on 29ers, you know, trying to ride a 27.5 bike. So having 26-inch wheels in true performance mountain bikes and not just, you know, the Kmart stuff, it's really important that that stays out there. And so from that standpoint, I absolutely applaud Jameis for doing this. Yep. 26-inch, still uh, still surviving somehow, some way. That's uh, good for Jameis. And we uh, what the hell? We hope they succeed with that. All right, Paceliners, uh, we're going to call this one a show. Uh, Leadville write-up still showing up on fatcyclist.com. So if you're still interested in hearing about what happened at the Leadville Trail 100, Fatty is continuing. I don't even know that he's halfway through his write-ups yet <laughs> on uh, what happened on, on Leadville Day. Uh, Paceline, also a production of redkiteprayer.com. The show sits there in all its glory. And, of course, uh, show notes and links on that page. And, Patrick, uh, you're refreshing uh, – RKP madly these days. What's coming up yeah. for RKP? Uh, so there are going to be a number of posts coming out of my trip to Europe still. Uh, I had some real access uh, to Wi-Fi issues while I was in Europe. And so there's a bunch of stacked up uh, content. And then I've got some apparel reviews, stuff from Asos, stuff from uh, uh, Capoforma. And uh, let's see, uh, some more looks at uh, some other groups and uh, a little bit of travel stuff. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the Pace Line uh, can also be found on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Music. If you use Podbean, we're there too. Our Twitter handle is at Paceline Podcast. So for Fatty and Patrick, I'm Michael Hot, and we will talk to you next time on the Pace Line. Who's doing dishes? Oh, you can hear that? I'll shut my window. Uh, it's not dishes. It's... Uh shovels and stuff i don't know what's oh, going on okay. outside 
Uh, hang on. <laughs>